Uh, welcome. This is the, uh, the seminar about restoring the arts. And uh, when, when we talk about the arts, uh, let's just assume uh, we're talking about all the different arenas, you know, music, visual art, uh, dance, you name it. So we'll just, for the sake of uh, uh, ease, yeah, yeah, in the back there. Uh, for the sake of ease, uh, let's just assume that. So I'm not going to say, in music, this, and then in visual art, this. We could do that, but we don't have a ton of time uh, to do that. Uh, before we start, um, we're going to take a little test at the beginning. Um, teasing. Uh, I am, uh, I, I'm really grateful for, for this church and its, uh, its love for the arts and its uh, desire uh, to delve into that world and to understand more of, of what it uh, means to be an artist. But, but also, uh, my heart really is, is shepherding the artist. Um, you know, I'm an artist myself. I'm a musician and songwriter and things like that. Um, I would love to be a painter, um, and maybe someday uh, when I have less going on, um, I'll pick that up. Uh, but I, as I have um, talked to people, talked to artists over the years, as, as I've read about artists in the church, uh, one thing I keep coming back to is just uh, the longing of the artist to be pastored, uh, to have someone who who can uh, enter into their space and, and really strive to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it to, to affirm the gifts that they have. Uh, I think oftentimes they're gifts that go unnoticed in the church. I think a lot of times artists just feel like they don't fit. Uh, and I really want to be a part of uh, an artist feeling like they fit. Uh, and and in many ways, th this is a new, a new calling for me, and, and uh, I am, I'm learning a lot as I go. And, and even as I was putting this seminar together, it was just a really good process for me to, to take some of these concepts and these things that I've been reading and thinking about and, and trying to simplify them a little bit into uh, you know, a, a brief seminar. Um, but I know a lot of you are, are in this world uh, as your vocation, or you have family members who are in this world, and, and you clearly have some interest in this, some passion for this, uh, unless you wouldn't be here, um, unless you're here to sabotage uh, this whole thing, um, which I can handle it. Um, but uh, uh, but I, I, I say that because I want to learn from you. Because uh, I imagine at some point, you know, there are going to be things that I miss or, or whatever. And, and I know that you guys are learning and you guys have been immersed in this for so long uh, that, that I want to learn from you. So I just want to say that um, off the front end or at the front end before we, uh, we dive in. Um, all right. This is up here. Uh, I'm sure you guys know what this is, right? It, Starry Night by Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Um, we'll get to this in a second, this, this actual painting. And let me say this too. Um, two, one, uh, one artist, you know, thinker, cultural uh, expert, 
Um, his name is uh, Mako Fujimura. Uh, he's a, he's um, a Japanese uh, artist, uh, and he, he has just done a lot in the realm of, of the arts and the Christian faith. And, and, I, and so a lot of what I'm talking about today I've pulled from, he has a book called Culture Care, um, but he, I mean, he's written a lot of things. And his art, he's, he's, a, he's a painter. His art is, is phenomenal. Um, and uh, I, I'm thinking about at least taking about half of our kids' college fund to buy some of his art. Um, <laughs> but, um, hey, it's, it's, it's good to invest in the arts. Um, my kids will understand someday. Uh, it, it appreciates. Um, Anyway, so, so uh, he's one person that, that I've, I've really learned from. And then uh, this is a, a book called For the Beauty of the Church. And it, it's written by, or it's edited by a guy named uh, David Taylor, who's actually an ordained um, Anglican priest, but he's, a, he's also a, um, a professor, uh, I think at, at Fuller Seminary for, he's a professor in the world of the arts. Um, and uh, I spent a little bit of time with him uh, he's been, ju he's just done, he's been doing this for many, many years. Uh, but there's, um, and also a guy named Andy Crouch, who has done a lot of work in the area of culture, in the arts, so on and so forth. And so I'm going to be pulling from, uh, his essay in here about, about the arts as well. Okay, Van Gogh, um, and I'm going to be reading some experts, to, experts, excerpts, um, very different. Uh, from, from some of these uh, stories. So, uh, so I get to read to you, um, which is wonderful. Um, all right, just a real brief uh, background to Van Gogh. I actually didn't know this. Uh, he grew up in, in a Dutch Reformed uh, family and kind of grew up in the church and was very much influenced uh, by that by that world, um, and he felt called to go into the ministry, uh, and one of the things that he really had a passion for was spending time with the poor, and, and really felt this, this call to be with the poor, to be an evangelist. But th this is really interesting, that, that the elders in his church uh, were appalled uh, by the squalid conditions that, that he chose to share, to share with the poor, um, even saying that uh, and so they, they saw what he was doing. They were, they were appalled by it. Um, and they even said that, it, quote, that he was unfit for the dignity of the priesthood. Um, which I think we all know that, that that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, he, he, really, uh, he really wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the poor. And his very church uh, basically said, uh, this is not what we're about. And you're unfit to do uh, what we want you to do. And so for him, this was, this was uh, it really put him in this place where he, he didn't really know what to do. Because uh, he was really taking this incarnational approach to ministry, which is what we've talked about. You know, as we talk about culture, uh, he was taking that pretty literally of like, I I'm going to go and spend time with these people that, that are so often overlooked by our church. And because of that, he was really shunned uh, by his church. And so in this process uh, is when he really started to paint and to draw and, and, and his affections for art uh, began to advance. And, and at the same time, he, he didn't just leave the church and say, 
okay, I'm, I'm done with the church for good. I'm going to do my own thing. I think he, he wrestled with it for a lot of his life. Now, uh, uh, Fujimura talks about this painting, and I'm just going to read a little bit about uh, how he talks about this. And this is very interesting, and, and I'm going to have to give a few disclaimers on, on the other end. But uh, just hear what he has to say. Um, time spent in consideration of the, the famous story of Starry Night can become a journey into the heart of um, what he calls being a, a border walker or a border stalker. So this idea that as an artist, uh, we really have this ability uh, to, to kind of walk the border between uh, what we understand or what we see a lot of times as, as a fragmented culture. Um, you know, we take sides, whether it's the right or the left, it's conservative, liberal, whatever it is, um, fragmentation is, is very familiar to us in, in the, uh, the world that we live. And so uh, uh, Fujimura, it's just hard to say every single time. Um, I'll, just, I'll just say, I'll just call him by his first name because it's, it's just it's quicker off the tongue. Um, Mako, um, he, uh, that kind of sounds silly. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so he, he talks about this idea of, of really the artist having this uh, this unique ability to, um, to, to, to really be in both worlds. And I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the, this painting is set in France. Um, notice that at the center of the painting is, uh, is a white Dutch Reformed church. So there's the Dutch Reformed influence in his life. Uh, Vincent imported a church building from his childhood uh, pasting it onto the French landscape to create a parable of his own life. If, if you obscure the church by placing a finger over it, a big finger, uh, the painting falls apart visually. The church is the only vertical form aside from the dominant cypress tree on the left, uh, which juts out to break the horizontal planes. The tree and the church are the two forms that connect heaven and earth. Without the church, the cypress takes over the swirl of movement, and there's no visual center to hold the painting in tension. Notice, too, how the homes surrounding the church are lit with warm light. The church is the only building in the painting that's dark. Herein lies Vincent's message. All right, this is where I've got to give some disclaimer before you shout heresy. Um, Herein lies Vincent's message, particularly particular to the reality of being a border walker. The spirit has left the church, at least the building, but is active in nature. If you follow the visual flow of the painting, your eye will cycle upward, still anchored by the church building. Your gaze will come to rest in the upper right corner of the sun and the moon. This is not just a moon nor a sun, but a combination. Vincent wanted to show that the Spirit of God transcends even nature, that in the resurrection, in the new earth, in the new heaven, a complete new order will shape things to come. So I, I thought that was a very interesting idea that, uh, you know, as he talks about Vincent being this border walker, obviously we understand that the Spirit has not left the church, okay? Um, I want to be very clear about that. Like, I'm not here saying, you know, it's, you know if you're going to be an artist, you've got to just get out there and, you know, disconnect from the church. The church is vital 
um, for your creativity. The church is vital for, for us to really understand beauty. Um, and so, but, but I think the way that uh, <laughs> the church treated him, uh, I, I, again, I think he, he lived a lot of his life with this tension of, of trying to understand what is my calling as, as a believer in this world with these gifts that I have. And that, that beauty is within the church, within the walls of the church, but beauty is also without. And, and, and we as Christians are going out really as, uh, um, as these vessels uh, to, to communicate, to show uh, who God is and, and all the beauty and the mystery of who He is. And I, I think that's one thing about the arts that, that I absolutely love. Is it, it's, just, it's almost a different language. But I, I know if we all went around, we could all pretty quickly say, you know, a painting or a song or a hymn um, or a, a composition, whatever it would be, something that you have heard that you have been moved by. And I think if you were to, uh, to sift through uh, why you were moved, I think there would be part of it. There, there would be some spiritual component to it of what you're learning, of what you're wrestling with, you know, joy, doubt, sorrow, you name it. And so I think that there, is, there is this capacity that, that the artist has to really explore some of these things um, in a very unique way. Um, you know, I've talked a little bit about this idea of being a, a, a border walker, or even says a border stalker, um, but that sounds, he uses them synonymously, but border stalker just carries a different connotation to me. Um, uh, but, um, but one thing that I, I love about this is, is we do live in a very fragmented culture. Um, Unless you have just been totally, uh, you know, you've totally ignored media and everything else, uh, it's hard, it's hard to go a day without experiencing some evidence of that fragmentation. Now, I, I think uh, the, one of the beautiful things about, you know, walking the border between the two is that there is this, this idea of like cultural leadership, of really stepping in and saying, look, I'm not necessarily going to take sides here. Uh, I do want to be a champion for empathy and for reconciliation. And I think, again, I think there's a capacity for the artist to do that. Because there's something about what he or she does that, that resonates, I think, with, with both sides. And, and, and we'll get a little further down. Um, Fujimura talks about this, this shift that happened in his life. When, when he became a Christian, his... His um, understanding of beauty and therefore how he perceived um, and how he approached his art radically changed. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to just read that from his book. Okay. Uh, you know, I talked about, it may be hard to read this. Uh, Andy Crouch, in this book, in his essay about the arts uh, in the gospel, he describes culture like this. Culture is the stuff we make of the world, and it is the sense we make of the world. Culture is material and culture is meaningful and the two go together. The way we make sense is by making stuff. The way we find our way to meaning is by making something new. Culture is meaning making. Um, now, 
of course, as an artist, we are making things, um, and that's what we do. And and our um, this isn't just for the sake of, of productivity. This isn't just for the sake of utility. Um, uh, one thing I loved about and that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later is just um, Kathleen um, Hudson. Is that Hudson last name? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. For a minute. Um, she talks about it not just being this utilitarian endeavor, uh, but there's something much more going on there. Uh, but as we're creating things, as we're making things, I think we're affecting culture, even creating culture. Um, and I'm going to use an example um, at the end uh, with someone who's done that uh, uh, with the refugee crisis and that's been going on. It's, it's fascinating. Um, Okay, um, to go back a little bit, all the way to the beginning, in Genesis, um, culture, is, is, culture is God's idea. The culture is not just something that, uh, that we came up with uh, in the last few centuries. But if you go, you know, you look at the creation narrative, God is creating. Um, and, and what is He doing? He's creating these things and calling them good. Okay, so there's this foundational, uh, uh, God's creating of culture is foundational to our understanding of why we do what we do, why we make what we make. In Genesis 1.26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So, this creator God... Uh, you know, making these things, calling them good. Then he makes man. We're made in his image. There is something, you know, as um, Dr. Rum said earlier, I mean, there's, there's clearly something better <laughs> about us compared to animals, trees, and things like that. Okay? He made us, and we're, we're very good. We're made in his image. So there has to be this, this idea that if we're made in the image of God, God is a creator. I, I think it's safe to say that he's made us to be creators. As well, um, and, and this isn't just a. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and when I say that God's, I, I really think that because everyone is, all humans are made in the image of God. All humans are creators. I'm not saying that all uh, that everyone is um, an artist in the the way that, that we typically understand the artist. I think we all have the capacity to create. Um, to, to, to make sense by, by creating and, and making meaning. So this isn't just painting or composing. This is, this, is a, this is a bigger concept. But consider that God not only creates, but He preserves His creation, establishing His image, this imago Dei, is what's been um, historically called, uh, in a world that rebels against Him. There's beauty an evident goodness in creation, but one can also recognize the need for redemption. That creation suffer, suffers under the punishment of sin and groans for something different, something new. The Christian finds his redemption in Christ, the exact rep representation of God. And for that you would see you know, Colossians 1, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Hebrews 1, this whole idea of, of Christ being the exact representation of God. Uh, 
And Christ is the only hope for a new creation, a new creation which proves uh, that God's heart is to preserve and ultimately fully restore His image in those He has called to Himself uh, through His Son, Jesus. So we're not only concerned with the foundational reality of God's good creation in Genesis, but in God's ongoing creative work in upholding and directing all that is. So if we consider that I mean, this whole idea of the, of the redemptive story of, of creation and fall and redemption and glory, like, we fit into that, okay? Um, obviously, we see this creation narrative, and then we see the fall um, in chapter 3, uh, but the, the image of God is not suddenly uh, non-existent. You know, if you look in Genesis 5, just two chapters later, uh, this idea of being made in His image is brought up again after the fall. Um, and so we have this, this role to play in redemptive history, um, you know, being, uh, you know, still kind of waiting that last step of, of redemption. And all that we're doing, and we're, we're, we're creating meaning, and, and we're, we're making things all pointing, ultimately pointing back to who Jesus is. And that He is the source of all beauty, um, which I, I'm jumping all over my, uh, all over the place on my, uh, my outline here. So uh, forgive me if I, if I re- repeat anything. Um, let me do this, because this is really good. Okay. Um, Uh, Fujimura talks about um, uh, being generative, so uh, this idea of, of <clears throat> making things and uh, uh, this, re- this restorative uh, process. And he, he talks about Genesis moments, he talks about generosity, and he talks about generational thinking. Um, and, and for him, Genesis moments, it's this idea of taking... Um, Really taking any moment, maybe it could be a failure and, and, and learning how to, uh, to work that out and not to just, you know, fall into despair. Uh, this is one thing, you know, when I first read this book, this, this really stayed with me for a long time. Generative thinking often starts out with failure, like my failure to think and act like an artist. I've discovered that something is awakened through failure, tragedy, and disappointment. It is a place of learning and potential creativity. In such moments, you can get lost in despair or denial, or you can recognize the failure to run toward the hope of something new. The genesis moment is to assume every moment is fresh. Creativity applied in a moment of weakness and vulnerability can turn failure into an enduring conversation opening new vistas of inspiration, and there it is again, incarnation. Um, This, I read this and I think about the Psalms. You think about this whole idea of lament. Um, And while there is is kind of echoes of, uh, of despair, um, and, and even hopelessness at times, ultimately there is this movement uh, with exception, I think, to Psalm 88, which kind of ends on a pretty sour note. Uh, there, there's this movement toward, toward hope and, you know, but I will trust in your unfailing love. 
And, and again, if, if we fit this within the template of redemption, you know, you go back, think about the fall, and, you know, there's not a better picture of, of failure and tragedy and disappointment than in the fall in Genesis 3. But uh, God doesn't just bail on us. Uh, the, the story moves forward. <clears throat> and we see time and time again God using failure and disappointment for good. You know, using weak people, using uh, sinners uh, to to ultimately point to himself. And, and I've seen this in my own life. Some of the, you know, most inspired moments that I've had as a songwriter have come from uh, <clears throat> out of times of just my depression and anxiety. Like some of the lowest points in my life have created some of the, the most beautiful music, uh, you know, subjectively speaking. Um, uh, <laughs> You know, f- from my own perspective. But, uh, you know, there's a lot. Of, I mean, there, if you look back, I mean, one thing that's great to do is, is to take, you know, artists that you, artists, musicians, hymn writers, whatever, and say, man, I, I really love this hymn. And, and, and you go read about it, the story behind it. Um, a lot of those are, um, are fraught with despair. But, but also these, these Genesis moments that... that um, that spurred them on to create these, these timeless and, and beautiful uh, pieces. All right, I want to talk real briefly, well, briefly, uh, about beauty. Um, a culture that downplays the pursuit of be- beauty also loses its appetite for truth and beauty. Um, okay, uh, I want to read this. This is uh, for um, for Fuji uh, Fujimura, um, and I will. Uh, I'm not going to read it word for word. Uh, in many ways, for for him as an artist, a genesis moment for him was uh, his when, when he when he came to know uh, when he became a Christian. And again, there's this whole shift in his perspective, this whole shift in how he understood um, art and, and understood his calling as an artist. And one thing he really struggled with early on was, how do I even frame what I'm doing? Um, if I'm calling something beautiful, why am I calling it beautiful? Uh, and... He talks about when he was speaking at this gallery in Soho, um, which is just like a bastion of like conservative values and reformed theology. Um, no, it's not. Um, but uh, he, so he's in this art gallery with, I'm sure, 95% of the people there are not Christians. But for him, he was so, his convictions uh, we're so sure, whoa, <laughs> whistle. Um, his convictions were, were so set in who Jesus was that, that for him to, to describe his work in this gallery, it had to include that. And he, he quotes Isaiah 61 in, uh, as he's talking about his art, which is 
uh, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And uh, what he says is, uh, he, um, he says at, the, at, the, uh, at this gallery, I spoke of the struggle uh, as he tried to create this conceptual framework of what he was doing for beauty. So for the first time, I was able to find in Christ himself an integrating premise behind beauty. Uh, for Christ also began his ministry with a reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. He talks about this. He says, Then He shocked those in the audience by claiming that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be the one who can provide for us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He claimed to be this source of beauty. And so this was monumental for him. Uh, and he began to really kind of see everything. Uh, the, the beauty of who God is through the person of Jesus. And it had a huge impact uh, on, his, on his art. So if we, I mean, if we look at scripture, Psalm 27. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 50. Um, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Uh, skip down here. Um, well, sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. So, if we're just talking about a, a disconnected beauty, or just this very vague term of beauty, uh, I, I think beauty in itself can, can kind of become idolatry uh, and something uh, that, just, that just floats out there and, and something we strive for within our own doing. But if, if, if our art, if what we're doing uh, philosophically, theologically, all that, if it, is, if it is connected to the source of all beauty, Jesus Christ himself, of course we have something to say. Of course we have something that... that can influence culture, maybe not in the way that we would expect. Um, but I, I think if we're talking about who Jesus is and that, that creation was made through him, uh, we, have, um, we have the greatest inspiration there is. Um, something interesting about that story that, that um, Fujimura was when he shared this at the uh, at the the gallery, a couple days later, uh, someone called him who was at the gallery and said, "I have never in my life heard someone quote scripture like that at an art gallery," um, and I was really moved. 
uh, and I think for him, again, that was also kind of this genesis moment of like, well, okay, maybe, maybe I'm onto something, and it just gave him a lot of new life. Uh, I'm not going to go really into this, um, but Jonathan Edwards is, is a great, uh, when you're thinking about beauty and who God is, he, he is a, a great resource. Um, I'm just going to read these. It is a sight of the divine beauty of Christ that bows the wills and draws the hearts of men. A sight of the greatness of God and His attributes may overwhelm men and be more that they can endure. But the enmity and opposition of the heart may remain in its full strength and the will remain inflexible. Whereas one glimpse of the moral and spiritual glory of God and supreme amiableness of Jesus Christ shining into the heart overcomes and abolishes this opposition and inclines the soul to Christ as it were by an omnipotent power. And then later on, in in a different thing, he says, The gospel has seemed to me to be the richest treasure. The way of salvation by Christ has appeared in a general way, glorious and excellent, and most pleasant and beautiful. Um, I think we... uh, we may live in, in, in a culture, you know, if you're just kind of speaking in sacred, secular terms, it's not always helpful, but for the sake of this, well, I think we do this in the church too. I think we tend to, well, there's a danger of reductionism or of pragmatism when we talk about art. Um, that art is only beautiful if it's useful. Um, and, and I, I really, like, I really push against that. Because I understand that, uh, that in a lot of ways, that, that's the world we live in. Um, but if we're talking about beauty, if we're talking about art, um, just to reduce it to, okay, can I sell this? Or um, can someone look at it and, and it, uh, you know what it says right off the bat, uh, I think that can really get in the way uh, of, of what we do as artists and as creators. And I, and I think it can, be, it can be a hindrance for us if we just sit down and think. And the first thing we think about is, okay, is, th- is this going to sell or are people going to like this? But instead starting at a place of, okay, uh, how do I understand beauty? Um, how can I explore that and not exploit it? Um, and so uh, we could, I mean, we could probably do a whole seminar on this whole idea of, of, you know, the pragmatic versus uh, the, what would be the opposite of that, uh, contemplative. I, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, Lewis, there's a guy named Lewis Hyde. He wrote a book uh, called The Gift. And um, I've heard a lot of people reference it, uh, so I think it's a very highly regarded book in the arts community. But uh, this, the book is called The Gift because he really views art primarily as a gift. Um, and and he, doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't hate on this idea of, of art being sold or, or whatever. I mean, obviously, to make a living as an artist, there is, there is, a, there is, there is place for... For, for 
industry and, and that kind of thing. But, but for him, as Hyde says, is this idea of we have to view it primarily as a gift um, of, of, uh, of what we're sharing uh, with culture and, and whatnot. Um, okay, uh, of course, I, I knew I would do this, but I'm going, I'm going to have to jump ahead a little bit. Uh, okay, moving forward, I, I, uh, I have four things that all start with C. Um, my last name starts with C, too. Um, but uh, I, think, I think these things are, uh, the, these things are helpful. Uh, they've been helpful for me, at least, as, as I've thought about this. Um, there will be a test at the end of the day, so please, um, this will be on the test. Um, all right, the first one is, is contemplate. Uh, and this, this may go without saying, uh, but I think spending time uh, immersed in, in the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. Because as we, I think as we do that, uh, it will have an effect on, on how we view the world, how we interpret the world, uh, and then how we, uh, how we translate that uh, into uh, what we're doing as artists. Um, I loved what Dr. Um was saying about, and I'm going to get it wrong, basically um, entering into the story of your culture, destabilizing it, and then restabilizing it uh, through, through the gospel narrative in, in a way that's not reductionistic. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I've actually thought about like how cool it would be to to create a space for Christians to come and then, um, you know, skeptics or, or whatever, um, and, and to create art together uh, that is almost a dialogue about what you believe and, and, and how, these, how these things intersect. Um, that's just something I've thought about a lot. But, uh, so again, this whole idea of contemplation, really, I mean, it's really just the, the spiritual disciplines of, Prayer in the Word and of meditation. Uh, you know, I know that's kind of a touchy subject, maybe, but um, I mean it in the uh, the best way. Um, all right. The second thing, community. Uh, I was at a I was at a conference a few weeks ago with with some of you up in Grand Rapids. It's like a, it was a worship and arts. Um, conference or symposium is the word they used. Um, uh, so we were symposing, and uh, and and I went to a, I went to a seminar. Uh, it, it was talking about the how a church can and to how how a church can build an artisan residency program. And uh, there was an artist who who I'm going to um, close with. He said. Uh, one of the one of the requirement one of the requir- requirements we have for these artists that come into the church um, as an artist in residence is that they're in community, um, not just with you know not not their in a you know a neighborhood group, but that they're in a community with other artists. Because he said they're they're artists they just feel this pressure to be unique, to to kind of isolate themselves. Because they feel this pressure to create kind of the next thing, 
or something that no one else has ever done before. And he said, well, while that is a, uh, a noble um, uh, pursuit, uh, it, it does become very isolating. Uh, and so I think it's just really important for us to spend time with other artists uh, and, and to share our work, uh, to talk about the things we're contemplating, to talk about what does it look like for us to be, to be um, kind of these border walkers. How can we use our gifts to, uh, to cultivate greater empathy in our culture, to cultivate uh, a spirit of reconciliation, uh, to cultivate dialogue between uh, very different um, perspectives. And I think we have to enter those space with people that, that are like us, that think like us, and, and, and explore these things and wrestle with these things. And my guess is that, that as you start to do that, you are going to start, you know, as Crouch says, you're going to start uh, making meaning through the very things you're doing in, in this community of creators. Um, that certainly is my hope, that as, as people in our church um, begin to understand more of how they're wired and that they're a glorious creature, uh, that th they'll be inspired, they'll be encouraged to step out and, and, and to do these things. Um, all right, contemplate, community, uh, create, duh. But, but I, know, I know that that seems so obvious, but I, I, I think some of this comes back to the whole thing versus just, you know, let's just, let's just produce because I've got to sell stuff. I've got to make money. Let's produce. Um, so it's that whole kind of the, the, the tension between uh, pragmatism, reductionism, and uh, just creating for creating's sake because it's what God's made you to do. Um, we did, back in December, we did something called Winter Song, uh, our downtown campus, and it was this night of, of music and art. And something that I did was I, I contacted some, some artists in our community to create a piece of art for this event. Um, and I gave them a very general theme of, of the incarnation and the different tensions we see. Uh, and there, there's an artist, um, her name is Mallory Meisner, uh, and she, she's a full-time artist, but most of the time, what she, I mean, she's doing a lot of, um, I mean, she's, do, she's producing a lot, um, commissions for all types of things. But she, she painted this, this big painting for, um, for the event, and I was talking to her about it, and she said it, it gave her so much life to, to create space, to 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 do something that she just doesn't get to do very much. And, and I basically told her, I was like, you need to keep doing that. Like, you need to make space in your week where you're just creating, not for anyone else, but, but you're taking, you know, and her painting was so beautifully described, um, you know, just as she was thinking about the Trinity and, and all these different things. And... I think it was pretty transformational for her to realize, gosh, I have, I have reduced my creativity to production. And I've got, I've got to create more space just to, 
stare at a big blank easel and just paint. Um, and, and here's the thing is I can't tell you how many people either email me or ask me about her painting. So what she was doing was resonating because it was beautiful and it was, there was something about it that was very mysterious. Um, and, and, and it moved you. And so I think that was a huge part for her. So when I say create, I don't, I don't, I'm not just saying create to sell it. I hope, I hope that happens. Um, I mean, if, 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 you know, if artist is going to make a living, there's, that's part of it. But um, creating that space, knowing that like, there's a lot of urgency in protecting that. Um, I know as a songwriter, a lot of time, that's the first thing to go when life gets busy. But I'm really realizing that cannot be the first thing to go. Like, I have to, be, I have to protect that um, just, I mean, just as much as anything. All right, contemplate, community, create, uh, courage. Um, be courageous in, in, in what God's called you to do. Uh, I think especially as you're entering into um, places where, where people don't believe what you believe, uh, but having the courage to uh, to do, in, in a lot of ways, what Fujimura did, to say, to have, you know, a reason for the hope that you have. I'm already explained the reason, whatever. My grammar's bad right now. But um, this whole idea of our, our concept of beauty, our foundation of beauty is, um, is different <laughs> than a lot of people. And, and I think when we create good art, when we, when we really put time into something um, and make something that's worthwhile, uh, I think that resonates across every line. Um, so, um, okay, last thing. I, I just want to share this. Because this is really fascinating. All right. This artist, this was the artist that I told you about, about um, the artist in residence thing that I went to. His name is Joel, Joel Schoontanis. Um, I seem to pick people who have really strange names or names that are hard to say. Um, they're not strange names. Um, and he, uh, he recently painted this uh, uh, this um, interpretation uh, of the Good Samaritan, but uh, sensitive to the, uh, what's going on in our culture right now, he called it the Good Syrian. Um, now what happened was, uh, almost done in one minute. <laughs> Will's getting so mad at me. Um, I could take him. Um, uh, basically, because of him calling it the good Syrian, and he put this, he has prints of this for sale, and he was, he was um, donating part of the proceeds to, uh, uh, to raising money for refugees. And, uh, and so he put this up on his website, and PayPal, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with PayPal, it's, it's just an online, it's a way you can pay online for stuff. PayPal flagged it uh, because it had the word Syrian. And so the government basically like shut down his, his, 
his payment site. Um, and uh, because he was basically coming right at this, this whole refugee situation and saying, no, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, in some ways, I, I'm going to be prophetic as an artist and step into this situation and say, this is what's going on. And I'm going to call it the good Syrian. And, and red flags were popping up all over the place. Um, you know, if, if that's not changing culture, I don't know what is. And maybe in a very small way. Um, but, I mean, the government, I mean, here, here's an artist that, I mean, he's not this, you know, world famous artist. But uh, he, he, this whole idea of contemplation, he really came to this story and was like, who is my neighbor? And how am I to treat them? And out of that, he created this, which created this mess on the other end. I think it's all been uh, rectified. But he said, when art is painted through the eyes of faith, it can be a prophetic voice uh, that points to truth. So I think some of that speaks back to being courageous. You have a voice. You have a gift that God has given you, a gift that reflects Him as the Creator. You are made in His image. You are a beautiful creature. You're a glorious creature. And I think... We just need to be reminded of that. We need people in our lives to kind of push us forward, uh, to help us create that space so that ultimately we, we can remember how beautiful, how monumental um, this story of redemption, the story of the gospel is. Uh, let me pray. And uh, I guess the next thing starts in about 10 minutes. Father, we thank you um, uh, that you are a God who is beautiful. And I pray that you would help us to understand more of what that is. I, I want to talk more about it, but um, I, I pray that you would show us uh, more and more that as, as, we, uh, as we look around us, um, as we um, engage uh, in, in community, Lord, as we worship, uh, that we would see you as beautiful, the truly beautiful one. Lord, bless the work of our hands. Um, Lord, continue to move us um, through song and through uh, looking at a, a work of art. Um, Lord, let us not just move through this life uh, quickly and just trying to get things done, but slow us down uh, that, we would, that we would see all that uh, which is beautiful around us. Lord, I thank you for the artist. I thank you that you have given them those gifts. And I pray that we as a church would continue to celebrate them, that we would continue to, to shepherd them, that we would continue to, uh, to support them. Not, not, not uh, simply spiritually, but, but even financially. To say, we value what you're doing, and we want to walk alongside of you and support you. Lord, we pray, I just pray that you'd raise up people to do that, to be patrons in a sense. Um, Lord, we thank you um, for your pursuit of us and, and of this city. Um, Lord, we, uh, we move forward in faith and do so hopefully, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.